It's Wednesday, June the 10th. We're studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we start a new paragraph here in the English text, and we want to look at it. Uh, remember the context, the mockers, the scoffers, they are doubting the return of Christ. We've got the logic as to why that's dumb for you to doubt the return of Christ. And then we've got in verse number 10, you remember the promise that it's going to come imminently without any delay. It, there's going to be a surprise like a thief. And then it's going to be burned up, dissolved. Everything's going to be laid bare or exposed. And then we get some practical pastoral application. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now you can see the comma there, and we're going to continue on with this with some very helpful and instructive application. But it's good for us today that this verse ends right here because we can get... Uh, a chunk of this and try to process, process this as we ought to. So let's look at this, first of all, with this word, which I think is interesting, and we can't always see this in English, but I think it's worth pointing out. Uh, this is a very um, simple little word, uh, trying to picture it here in English, uh, luo. And it's the same word that is described, or I should say translated, in all of these passages dissolved. Look at it. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved. Uh, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, uh, what kind of people ought you to be? Verse 12, waiting and hastening the coming of the Lord because of the heavens we set on fire and dissolved. Now, if you are a Greek student and you see the word luo, and you think, what in the world here is going on? This seems like such a simple word to be translated in such a major way. But uh, think about what this word means. If you've taken a Greek language class, which everyone should at some point, it would be a good thing, uh, to be loosed. I mean, that's how you learned initially the lexical translation of this word luo, to be loosed. And if you think about what's going on here, this eschatological view of the end of the world, and it keeps talking about the universe being dissolved, 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 which is simply the word luo, it's going to be undone. It's going to be let go. It's going to be broken up. It's going to be unbound. It reminds us of the fact that the Bible teaches the fact that God is the one pulling this together. Matter of fact, let's look at this verse, as long as we're thinking of the word dissolved, the inverse of that, the opposite of that, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him, Christ is in view in this context, that pronoun, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things, everything, all things were created through him and for him, right? He is before all things, that means he's the preeminence permanent person above them all. And in him, all things, look at this phrase here, hold together. All things hold together. The concept of luo contrasted as the opposite of being held together reminds us of how reliant we are on God when we think about God kind of intervening into time and space. And we even used that phrase yesterday as we thought through this passage in verse number 10 of 2 Peter 3. But if you really think about it, it's almost the opposite of that. Certainly when you start thinking of this word dissolved or let go of or unbound, it's as though God, and I say this often from the pulpit, you've heard me say it probably, if God were to turn his back, so to speak, on his creation 
everything would just implode. God is the one holding it together. This is the uh, doctrine of God being involved in his creation. The deists, for instance, you've heard about deism and very popular, you know, two, three hundred years ago, where they believed that God was the, you know, the master clockmaker who wound up the universe and then walked away from it. And we say, well, that's not the depiction of biblical Christianity. It's not the depiction of the God of the Old or New Testament. The God of the Bible is the God who is involved, actively involved in his creation. Not only does he create things, as this passage says, he creates it, but he actually is actively actively engaged in holding it together. The universe, as it is, is going to be dissolved. Everything in this physical world, all things are going to be dissolved. They're going to be loose. They're going to be unbound. Uh, it's such a simple word, but it has such big consequences in this passage. And for as many times as this Greek word luo shows up in the uh, Greek New Testament, in the New Testament, uh, it's used here and translated here I should say, three times dissolved, and it's only in these passages that it's translated that way in the ESV, dissolved, um, because we're trying to get that sense in which the uh, very elements of this world, the basics of creation, are going to fall apart when God chooses to step away from it. You think of that comment of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, that God sends his reins on the evil and the good. And you think about the picture of God's active involvement in everything, that God sends the reins, that God is making the plants grow, that God is the one who is giving, as the Psalms say, food to even the wild beasts out in the field. This is a God who is actively involved in his creation. And for him uh, to destroy it is not to say, well, I got to get involved and do something and exert some power to destroy it. It's almost as though, and I know this is, we're speaking in human terms, here, but it's almost as though he just has to stop trying. He has to just step back and and and, and not bring uh, his power to bear upon the world, and the world falls apart. That's the picture here, and I just thought it was worth taking a moment to think of that Greek word luo and the idea of, of dissolved or unloosed or unbound or unkept. It's like it's all being held together and God just lets it go. It reminds us of that line also from Acts 17, which we've quoted a few times in our uh, study. In Acts 17, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. The old translation is in him we, we live and move and exist. The, the idea of God being the active participant in everything that takes place in the physical world, not to mention the physical world, we see here too in the, in the spiritual world, in the spiritual world as well, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, speaking of spiritual elements, uh, God creates it all. And he not only creates it all, he holds it all together. So all of that's going to come to an end. And it says, since these things are thus, and in the Greek language, because this is going to happen, because it's going to be like this, like what? Well, that antecedent goes back to what we've seen, and that is everything is going to come to an end suddenly, like a thief, it's going to take place. And I would just remind us, because we ended yesterday with the reminder of our accountability before God, uh, even the Christian life, as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we are not supposed to grumble against one another. This is one thing that we saw uh, was of concern to James, uh, and God, of course, through James to us about being sanctified in the Christian life, to be holy as he's holy, as 1 Peter 1 says, is to be reminded that as we pray to this God, we want to make sure that we are not standing in judgment, in this case, the Bema seat judgment, where God is going to evaluate us negatively and we're going to suffer loss. Why? And here's the picture because the judge is standing at the door 
it's always the great reminder. And, and since things are, are thus to be dissolved, since they're going to be dissolved at a moment's time, it's not like God, and I used the illustration before about God's return being on schedule, and it's an imperfect illustration to think about the train leaving the station and coming to the next station on time, because we think of that being, well, he's you know 15 miles away, and then 10 miles away, then five miles away. Well, that's not the picture of the scripture regarding God, even though it's a I think a decent illustration to show that it is certain and it's on the way. Well, the picture of God here being the judge, being right there at the door, he's ready to pop through at any time. And since all these things are thus to be destroyed, immediately, like a thief in the night, suddenly it's all going to come to an end and we're going to be done with this world. He says if it's all going to be undone and loosed and dissolved, then here's the question, what sort of people? He says, ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. This is the pastoral exhortation to the reader, not just the first century, but here in the 21st century. And it reminds us that this world as we know it, all these things, right, really are not the end all for us to invest in. As a matter of fact, they ought to be such a secondary priority that we think of it just very, you know, like it, it's not that big of a deal. And as Paul said in Galatians 6, it's like the world's been crucified to me and I to it. This world is not our home. We're aliens and strangers. This world does not have for us anything permanent. As Jesus said, we're supposed to store up treasure in heaven. So and just by way of practical exhortation, I would go further and say, let's think about it. What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We're going to get into that in the next verse, but let's think about the things that should not be. John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, we've looked at this uh, text, the desires of the lust of the flesh, the desires or lust of the eyes, uh, the pride of life, this self-promotion, this desire to have just the beautiful things around me and only the beautiful things, and desire for the pleasures of my own flesh, it says. We need to realize none of that is from the Father, right? The ultimate desires being fulfilled are from the Father, right? At the right hand, there are at the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. But we're talking about the fleeting realities of this world. He says all of these things in this world, this fallen flesh that craves things, the fallen flesh that's got to have certain things around it, the fallen flesh that wants to self-promote, not from the Father, from the world. And here's the point. The world is passing away. Thus, what does that mean? Immediately, at a moment, this could be done today for you and for me, along with all of its desires, all the things that really drive so many people. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like the pagans chase after all these things, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this idea of a passing world should remind me, I'm not going to set my love here on this planet. This is not what my life is all about. I'm not going to fall in love with the present world, which reminds us, I hope as I use that phrase, of Demas. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Paul is saying, I need you to come, Timothy, to me, as Paul's in prison. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world. Now think about this. He was one who was commissioned to travel with the Apostle Paul as a minister, as an apost as a uh, as an apostle's assistant, as a uh, missionary, and he's in love with the present world. And so what happens? He doesn't do the work he's called to do. He deserts, and he's gone to Thessalonica. And so this passage reminds us how easy it is, even for those that are committed to the Lord, and apparently committed to the Lord and his work, they can fall in love with this present world. But what kind of people should we be if we know all the things in this world are going to be dissolved and loosed in just a second? God's going to step back, and it's all going to fly apart. And if that's the case, we shouldn't be in love with it. Not only should we not be in love with it, let's look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. 
there's a present crisis going on that he's talked about in this passage. We're talking about marriage as one of the issues on the table and all the things that go with it, all the attendant interests and concerns and burdens you have in this world. And he makes this statement in chapters 29 through 31 that I think are helpful. Because you may say, well, I'm not in love with the world. Well, you may not be in love with the world, but you may be absorbed even in the things of the world to an extent that you should not be. Right? We need to be good employees and good you know, family men and, and, and husbands and all that, but we should really be thinking about what our responsibility is to the eternal and to the kingdom that's coming and recognizing that it's not about absorption and saying, I gotta be the best at all these things here and now as it relates to the present age. Listen to this, for what I mean, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 29, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short and it certainly had for them, and not only them, in that present crisis they were in, but everyone, as James said, we're like a vapor. We're going to be gone tomorrow. We saw that Psalm 90 passage about Moses saying, you know, we're so temporary, and, and that's certainly the case. But he said, from now on, just knowing the temporal nature of this life, knowing in this case that all of this is going to be dissolved immediately to apply it to our context in Second Peter 3, he says, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, that may can easily be taken out of context. But the point here is this certain kind of detachment, not in the sense that you're not good at doing those things, it's just that you're not absorbed in them the way you would if this is all there is to life. And those who mourn, there might be lots of things you're sad about in this world, as those who are not mourning. But really, they're not the kinds of things that last for eternity. So what are we crying about to the extent that the world cries about those things? And those who rejoice, a lot of things in this world that might make you happy, as though they were not rejoicing. Well. There's a lot of things we should rejoice in that have eternal value, that have kingdom value. But things in this world, yeah, we can rejoice. We can be happy. We can celebrate a birthday. We think about that. Those are the kinds of things. They're not going to last that long. They're not of eternal consequence. As those who buy, and certainly we all have to buy things in this world, as though they had no goods. Right? I'm not going to get to keep them. Those who deal with this world, and we all have to deal with this world, as though they had no dealings with it. Right? So the idea of my own heart in this world is not the kind of heart that is like the non-Christian who thinks this is all we have. They get hopped up and excited and, and agitated about so many things because this is all they have in this world. Look at how this ends. For the present form of this world, right? We know it's going to change radically when the kingdom comes, and we're going to see that in Second Peter, is passing away. Do you live like that? That is so critically important that you think that way and you live that way and you recognize this is a foundational concept within the scripture that we know that our time is short. The appointed time for us is short. This world could end tomorrow. right? As far as we're concerned as the church, we could be taken back to be with the Lord. And John 14, right? He can come and take us unto himself that where he is will be also. That is the hope, the blessed hope of the Christian life, uh, the appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, as Paul put it. And so we want to be focused on that. We want to be, we want to have our hearts there where our, tr where our uh, treasure is, our heart is also, our heart is, our treasure is also. The, 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 symbiotic relationship between the things that I value and what I really care about in the long run. It ought to be sorted out by knowing the world is temporary. Right? There are things in this world that are not. People, the Word of God, right? the Church of Christ, those things are things that are going to continue on and those need to be our top priority. So much more to say. We'll get to some more in verse number 12 tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in today in our study of 2 Peter chapter 3 and we'll see you when we get back together. 